Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Confidential. I'm Christina Yerling Biru. So many new listeners have come on board the past six months or so. Welcome. So glad to have you with us, old and new. Now, doesn't it seem like television and streaming has been a perpetual revolution the past decade or so? A battle royale for eyeballs. And now, a new phase being called the streaming wars. If our streaming choices didn't seem overwhelming enough with providers such as Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, CBS All Access, this month we see the launch of Apple TV, Disney Plus coming on November 12th, and HBO Max later in 2020. It's a streaming jungle out there, people, and I have some help this week to find our way through. What does it mean? What shows or movies should we watch or skip? I'm very happy to have Richard Lawson, chief critic of Vanity Fair, with us. Mr. Lawson, thank you so much for being here and for helping us out with this. My pleasure. So are you overwhelmed these days? You know, I am. I, I find that when I sort of socially hang out with um, you know, people who work in a, my, you know, my same field, it kind of, after 10 minutes of, how, you know, how are you, how was your week, it, we always go to this streaming thing because there's just a lot to talk about. <laughs> and it feels like it's like eating up everything else, you know. So I was mentioning at the top here that there are so many streaming providers that we already have, and now three huge new ones are coming onto the scene in short order. What is the industry thinking behind this, and is it manageable? Well, my impression, you know, just speaking with people both, you know, sort of on the creative end and the business end, is that everyone saw what Netflix was doing and saw it being this kind of I mean, it looked for a time to be this kind of totalizing thing that like everything was just going to be Netflix, you know. Um, and I think that other, uh, you know, major media companies who were maybe, you know, basically leasing their, you know, their 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 back catalog to Netflix or their shows or whatever, they they benefited from that, especially TV shows that you know got the quote unquote Netflix bump. But I like like Walking Dead or something like that right. that you know was popular, but then got really popular once with Netflix. Breaking Bad's another one. Um, I think they saw that and they said, well, okay, you know, at a certain point, we want our own thing because we want to own it. We want it, we want it, you know, to all sort of be in-house, you know, and I think Netflix now has become its own production studio in a way that it wasn't when it first started. Um, so they, they have a little bit of a foundation to stand on, even if they lose a lot of other things like friends or whatever. But um, it's going to be interesting because I feel like not all of these things are going to survive the next few years, I don't think. So what are you thinking? What won't survive? Well, my hunch at the moment is that Apple TV Plus um, is going to have the hardest of the kind of big, big streamers, right? Um, just because they don't really have a back catalog of movies. I think they have partnered with the um, kind of indie distributor A24 to do some things with them uh, in in the future. But like, you know, Netflix had a huge back catalog of movies when they first started launching original programming. Um, Disney Plus is obviously going to have everything, not just that Disney owns, but now that Fox owns because Disney owns Fox. They have um, everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> they have everything from, you know, Mulan to Aliens to, you know, uh, Star Wars. It, it, it's just every kind of major cultural property you can think of from the past almost, you know, 40 plus years. It's going to be on Disney pretty much. Right. But Apple TV, on the other hand, Apple TV Plus, I should say, um, seems to be their 
promoting themselves very strongly with their shows and and mainly yeah. this um the morning show with Jennifer Aniston and uh, Reese Witherspoon who I hear got 2 million dollars per episode each. <laughs> Tell me about their thinking with that. Yeah, I mean it's a really expensive show. I think each episode costs I believe 15 million dollars, so you factor in the 4 million for the two lead actresses and then whatever else. Um yeah, so that was the kind of the way they went out that was their gamble. You know, I think that they're trusting that they, that Aniston and Witherspoon, Steve Carell's also on the show are big enough names that people will say, you know what, I'll pay five bucks a month to be able to watch that. And Oh, there, look, there's another show. There's this show called C with Jason Momoa from game of Thrones and Aquaman. And it's kind of a, you know, Neo, like a futuristic, but also sort of medieval sort of, uh, you know, adventure series. And so, you know, maybe they're hoping to catch some Game of Thrones fans with that. I think the problem with that rationale is that at a time when um, tastes in television are able to be so diverse because there's just so much programming, you can really kind of get really niche with what you watch on television. I think it's it's a hard sell to be like, subscribe to this service for these specific five shows. I think what Disney Plus, on the other hand, is doing is saying, yeah, we're going to have some original programming like The Mandalorian, The Star Wars Show, um, or, you know, the High School Musical series or whatever. But... The real reason to pay the five bucks a month is to get this huge back catalog of movies so you can on a Friday night, you know, put on whatever. Or, you know, I speak to a lot of parents who say they're so excited for Disney Plus, even if they're suspicious of the company's bigger motivations, because, oh, my God, look at all this children's content they can have, you know, right at their fingertips. Apple doesn't have that. And I think that that, you know, I think that. And I think banking on just a, a specific set of um, you know original programming is a bit risky at, at the beginning, at least. And why a new HBO? Well, HBO has new owners, and and one of the big things that happened uh, pretty much right after that sale was that the kind of new head of the company said, "Look, we have to just we have to expand past Sunday night." You know, HBO for years has just been, you know, they have a three-hour programming block of. of you know, the, the prestigious of prestige TV uh, every Sunday, and that's pretty much it. Maybe an original movie on a Saturday night, maybe once in a while in the case of Chernobyl or um, the upcoming His Dark Materials, uh, a Monday night, but really that's it. But, you know, again, they have to compete with uh, other, um, you know, content providers that uh, have readily available stuff all the time. And so they are expanding and they're doing HBO Max, which not only will have a host of older films, you know, they have the sort of they're they're involved with Warner Brothers. But now they're going to just they're greenlighting show after show after show just to fill up space. And that really is the challenge for any new streamer is is to you don't want it to look bountiful. You don't want to look to look thin. Uh, And so they're really trying to pad out their back catalog with all this new stuff. Which I think for HBO could be a problem because, you know, they have really honed their brand to be this, you know, if your show gets through at HBO, if if you get a show on air on HBO, it really means it's been through a lot of different, uh, you know, sort of crucibles. And it, it's really earned its place in this just tiny three hour block every week. Right. But now that's going to be a bit diluted. Yeah, I feel like a, like a pensioner, like, get off my lawn, but I'm happy with my HBOs. <laughs> Yeah, same. Um, A little bit about, do they have different price points, these three? Is there one that's more expensive or? Well, Apple and Disney are pretty much the same price, which is $4.99 US dollars a month. Um, I'm not sure how much the HBO Max is going to be, but, you know, Netflix is like 15 right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a pretty big price differential that, you know, might make a significant dent. You know, I think that like, I think Netflix is going to be okay in the short term, but long term, 
as more and more of their back catalog is siphoned off to the you know the original production companies, the original studios, I, I wonder what Netflix is going to look like. Maybe they'll have to reduce their price just to compete. Um, I think another thing is that part of the Disney purchase of of Fox is that they got Hulu, and so now, in some ways Disney now has two big streaming services. So the children's stuff will be on Disney Plus, and then the more grown up shows will go to Hulu. So that's, you know, that's kind of two, that's attacking Netflix from two sides, which right. is a little scary for them. So I would see that maybe a quick solution to that would be reducing that monthly rate. Yeah. And what you're saying it with that Netflix is losing is, are things like Friends and The Office, like which have huge mm-hmm. viewers, right? So as a critic, what should be, what do you, what should we watch? What, what could you have a little guide on these new things that are coming here? And what shouldn't we watch? Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I think I'm a little bit out uh, on my own in, in my in the critical community for, for I like the morning show. I think it's, it look, it's not maybe as smart as it wants to be, um, nor is media savvy, but it's entertaining. Um, the acting and especially Jennifer Aniston is great. Um, it's really entertaining. It's a show I would happily watch on any platform. It just happens to be on this new sort of thing that we're kind of all wary of. I watched it too, the first one, preparing to talk to you. And, and, and I liked it too. I thought the tempo was, was very quick. It's a bit of, bit sort of diet Aaron Sorkin, but but um, I, I thought it really moved briskly, but I've only seen one. Yeah, it's exactly that diet Aaron Sorkin. That's that's perfectly put. <laughs> um, and and I think that but I do what I appreciate about it as the season goes on, this gets the, the, the kind of investigation into this gets deeper. It, it's the first thing that, you know, piece of filmed entertainment that I can think of beyond maybe an indie film here or there that really tackles the Me Too movement um, uh, head on and, mm-hmm, and talks mm-hmm. about it in very like detailed terms. Um, and I, and I appreciate that quite a bit. I think that that's, and, and its approach is, is pretty interesting um, given how it's written, you know, it's, it's a run by a woman and Mimi leader directed most episodes. So it has a sort of female perspective on, on that situation, but also uh, complicates it with some interesting tweaks as the season goes on. So I, I mean, I would recommend people check that out. Um, past that, kind of like I said, I mean, you know, there's something for every taste. It's really hard to, um, you know, point to one thing and say everyone should watch that. I mean, I would say everyone should watch The Great British Bake Off, which is on mm. Netflix, or, <laughs> you know, everyone should be watching, um, I don't know, like RuPaul's Drag Race, which is on an- another streaming, tiny streaming service that their production company, World of Wonder, has. I think it's really just what, you know, kind of whatever your taste is, is, is where to go. I want to talk to you a little bit about, just to go back to what I guess is the dinosaur in, in this, so that's Netflix, and I'm going to want to talk to you about in terms of Oscar, because um, the past few weeks I've seen the several of the films that they have in competition, that's both The Irishman and Marriage Story. I haven't seen Two Popes, but um, I have to say they are pretty incredible for, I think, both for you. What do you think the Oscar chances are, and, and, and how is Netflix approaching this year? Yeah, so Netflix, uh, it's been pretty amazing how quickly they have sort of broken through this ceiling. You know, for for, for when they first started making original films, the Academy uh, of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences was like, oh well, no, no, there's no way we could do that. It's it's TV. It's not really a movie. And 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 just in just a few short years, they've really Netflix has really changed that perception. Um, you see a movie like Roma winning a bunch of Oscars. Um, before that, a movie called Mudbound got some nominations. Um, so that, you know, they've steadily built their profile. And now this year they have this incredible slate, which includes the Irishman, you know, Martin Scorsese, $160 million movie, first time working with Al Pacino, reunited with De Niro and Pesci. Like that's a big thing. 
want you to meet my cousin, Russell Buffalino. How are you? Hi, nice to meet you. It was like the army. You followed orders. You did the right thing. You got rewarded. A friend of ours is having a little trouble. Friend at the top. Back then, there was nobody in this country who didn't know who Jimmy Hoffa was. You gotta go! Get the gun out of his hand! You always charge a guy with a gun. With a knife, you run away. So you charge with a gun, with a knife, you run. Hiya, Frank. Would you like to be a part of history? Yes, I would. Big business and the government are working together, trying to pull us apart. Something's got to be done. The Two Popes has been a huge festival hit at Telluride in Toronto. Jonathan Price kind of getting Oscar attention for perhaps the first time in his long and, and you know storied career. And then you have Marriage Story, which is a movie that like Netflix does big awards campaigns for their movies. That That's kind of what they tend to do. But I have not seen them do something like they are doing for Marriage Story. What I love about Nicole, she is a mother who plays, really plays. What I love about Charlie, he loves being a dad. He loves all the things you're supposed to hate, like waking up at night. She knows when to push me and when to leave me alone. He never lets other people keep him from what he wants to do. Dad, you're too far. I know. It's not easy for her to close a cabinet. He's incredibly neat. She's brave. He's brilliant. She's He's very competitive. Charlie and I are getting a divorce, Mom. You can't be friends with him anymore. Gina! Charlie Bird! <laughs> <Mom>. <laughs> Most people in my business, you just transactions to them. I like to think of you as people. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> you remind me of myself on my second marriage. Baby, I'm amazed the way you love me all the time. Part of what we're gonna do together is tell your story. Did you dye your hair again? No, this is me. You don't like it? Is it shorter? I prefer it longer, but. Well, it, I mean, it played at every major festival. It premiered at Venice. Then it went to Telluride. Then it went to Toronto. Then it was at New York Film Festival. Um, they have all the, they're having all these events. They have a sort of thing called the Marriage Story Experience here in New York City, where you can, or maybe it's traveling around the country. I don't know. But like, oh my God, Marriage Story. What is that? You get a divorce? <laughs> well, that's what it sounds like, right? Yeah, I was I saw saw the 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 email subject line and I said, huh? But it's a more about like art kind of inspired by and all this stuff. So they're kind of doing this road show for the movie wow. because I think they see that it has really viable Oscar chances. I, I mean, I guess they did a lot for Roma last year as well. Um, they have the money too. So, but I would say that like, I think Adam Driver, this one of the leads of Marriage Story is a, is a, is a real contender and best actor and his co-star, uh, it, likewise an actress. Um, and I, you know, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Al Pacino, I think they're all up for it. You know, I think that Netflix is going to have a really good Oscar year. And I think in among the kind of you know academy and the hollywood community if they keep funding you know auteur films like this that turn out to be good it's going to be really hard for anyone to turn up their nose at netflix you know before too long but can you um and and putting your sort of oscar hat on for a moment do you do you see any who's in the lead now de niro driver i mean that's so i think they were both just career best and that's saying a lot for de niro especially well, I think I think it'll depend on what kind of narrative the Academy wants to follow this year. On the one hand, you have Adam Driver, who you know he, he's doing his last Star Wars movie that's going to come out in December, so he'll be sort of riding that wave. He's been this hot young actor who rose up from theater, from the art, from the military to theater to television and now to film. Um, you know, sometimes the Academy 
uh, tends to reward younger women and then older men. Mm -hmm. But sometimes they like to like kind of pat the the young actor on the back and say, you know, welcome to the club. And so if they want to do that, there's Adam Driver, who's a serious, thoughtful, engaged actor who also isn't afraid to do something commercial, which is really appealing to some people in, 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 in the Academy. On the other, you have De Niro, some someone emerging out of the wilderness uh, that he's been in for the past ten years. You know, he's been making a kind of not the best mo- movies, comedy and, type things. Yeah, yeah, weird comedies, kind of B B action movies, B thrillers, and now he's returned with this big, meaty performance in a movie that not only serves us the um, desired Scorsese gangster stuff, but then in the last maybe, you know, third or something slows itself down, quiets itself, and becomes this really contemplative study of mortality and and about, you know, sort of regret in life. And and De Niro captures that perfectly. And so maybe some people will kind of want to sort to, in in essence, give De Niro the career capping award, you know, the way that um, some older actors get sometimes. So I think it'll be interesting to see. Um, It is kind of funny that Netflix is going to have to run opposite campaign you know can't you know sort of dueling campaigns but but all coming from the, the same place i don't know what's in the water this year because i mean there's always great acting but this year i have this feeling that even in television with something like succession and things like that even the best of the best are are, are doing even better than they usually do i think it's a tremendous year for acting yeah, I, I think that's true, and I think that, you know... And that includes Scarlett Johansson and several of the women as well, of course. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, actors are being... Uh, I think it's a good time uh, for, for the writing, you know? Um, it's it just there's, because there's so much, you know, there's so many shows and so much competition that, like, you really have to step up, you know, and really do something interesting and new and, and, and exciting um, in order to be noticed. The way Succession has been, it was kind of a slow burn, but it's really now become this big thing. Um, and but in large part because the there are really great actors responding to really great writing. So rounding off, as a critic working um, today, how in this jungle that we began talking about, how do you choose what you're going to write about and what you're going to watch? Well, I mean, I'm lucky in that um, we do have a full-time dedicated television critic here at VF. Um, so I, you know, she, Sonia Soraya, she's a great writer. Um, she can kind of take the brunt of television, which is a huge relief for me because in, in, you know, just a couple of years ago when I was the only critic at Vanity Fair, um, it was a lot, it was like, oh, how do I, there's no possible way to cover even a fraction of this. Um, now we are, you know, we have three critics on staff. We're able to, to, to kind of cover more ground. That said, you know, um, I, I think we, you know, we, we have a sort of in-house style and, and brand to, to consider and like, okay, what's a VF movie? What's a VF show? Something like The Crown. Obviously, we're going to cover that. We cover the Royals all the time. Mm-hmm. Something like, you know, that's maybe a little bit, quote unquote, lower brow or whatever. Maybe not. Um, but I think ultimately, all you can do as a critic is just kind of cover what's interesting to you. Well, you know, while also thinking about what people might click on, what people might want to read. But like, we have to be a bit curatorial, and, and sometimes the only way to do that is to trust our gut on, on what could, you know, is going to be something um, either really good or sometimes really bad. Um, and you know, I'd say we get it right most of the time, um, but sometimes I find that you know I'll, I'll publish a review of something and no one really cares, and it's like, oh, I maybe I should have reviewed that other movie coming out this week <laughs> instead of this one. Well, we all do that. <laughs> Finally, uh, if I call you next year uh, around this time, will the streaming wars be over? Will it be World War II? What do you think will have happened? Um, I feel like we we might have settled into like a long sort of siege of Leningrad kind of thing. <laughs> You know, um, I don't think anything will be over, but we might have a clearer sense of like who's entrenched where. Yeah. All right. 
Um, Mr. Lawson, thank you so much for your time. This was great. Thank you. It was fun. Thank you so much to Richard Lawson, Chief Critic at Vanity Fair. And you can follow him on Twitter at Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S. And thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a moment, please rate the show. That really helps us out. This episode was edited by Julia Scott, and I'm Christina Yerling-Biro. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.